Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Mate, it is an honor to be here with the great man himself. Boom. Business shakers and rainmakers. And this is episode one. So you must be very important. Mate, I'm I'm absolutely flattered. I had no idea this was your first one. So, you know, just to add a bit of extra pressure on the shoulders, but Trent, I'm looking forward to it, mate. Yes, you can have you can handle it. My first question down the barrel. Are you quirky? There's a right and wrong answer to this. <laughs> I would imagine you would say that I am. It's interesting. If if I reflect on that myself, I would probably say the answer is no. However, I would imagine you would potentially say otherwise, Trent. It's probably better if I ask you that, Trent. Am I quirky? Oh, you got some quirk about you. Well, just we are setting this podcast up. We're only interviewing absolute A-graders. Okay, so A-grade salespeople, A-grade leaders, sales leaders. And so there's always a bit of quirk there. I'd say that, I'd say that there's quite a bit of quirk to you. Uh, you have a lot of quirk, I, I would say. It's funny because the quirkiest of the quirky don't see them as themselves as quirky. They're that quirky. Really interesting. I'm that quirky. Really oh, geez. Really interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. But thank you. All right. Let's get into it. I've worked with you. I've seen you in action. Uh, you're an A-grade salesperson. What does the word sales mean to you? Well, sales to me, Trent, would be... <clears throat> about being the person who can connect a product or a service to the needs of another person or a business. But I'd say you've got to provide it in a manner that benefits both parties. I find the best salespeople are able to generate a very good relationship with people very quickly. So I guess in essence, selling really and sales really is really comes down to relationship, how quickly you can build a relationship uh, and then how good you are at maintaining and carrying that relationship on moving forward. That quirkiness we talk about is the ability to disarm and build trust quickly, which is essentially being able to connect and build relationships and do it in a non-threatening way, uh, which generally means that you have to have some tangible, genuine value to share, uh, be likable, be, be trustworthy the same time. But it sounds easy, but it's it's hard for some. It's really hard for some. So your background as a salesperson, Mark, obviously there's no degree that you can get in sales. Uh, we all seem to fall into it. Uh, some sink or swim. Uh, the ones that generally go on to bigger and better things have found a way to swim. Um, have you always found selling easy? And take us a little bit back through your story, perhaps when you when you started your journey. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's so true. You, you don't need a sales, uh, you don't need a, a degree to succeed in sales. And it's it's that one career, when you think back in high school, it's like, why did nobody tell me that there was a career in sales? You know, in high school, you finish and they're, they're pushing you in that angle of going to university and studying something generally quite fancy. But then, you know, there's this skill that, uh, you know, there's people in this world who are very good at relating to other people and very good at creating and sparking conversation and have a lot of passion and excitement within them who are just perfect people for sales, but they may not have academically been the brightest tool in the shed. And I'll be honest, that wasn't me. If I look back in my high school days, I mean, I was lucky to pass. I think my um, I'm, I'm 40 now, Trent, but when I finished high school, we had our, I think it was called Enter at the time. I think I got like something like 51 out of like a possible 99. So, you know, not the brightest tool in the shed. Um, but it wasn't until probably the night, I started promoting nightclubs uh, in my early 20s. Well, and then kind of realized then that I just really enjoyed um, talking to people and sparking conversation. And I found people really interesting. And then it probably wasn't until about 10 years after that, oh no, maybe eight, seven or eight years after that, that I realized sales was actually a career. And then I could just go out there and talk to people about a product or a service or whatever it was and make money from it. I mean, I remember I started selling fruit juice. Trent, that was the first thing I sold. I did that for only three months. Then I got a job selling beer, working for a boutique brewing company. I did that for two years. 
and then went quickly into hair product sales where I'm still here today, 10 years on. So interesting. I mean, I didn't start my sales career till uh, a little bit later on. Um, I was probably around 27, 28, roughly it was. And yeah, as I said, I had no idea sales was a career. Um, so that's really it for me. That's interesting. That, that nightclub promotion back in the day, did that mean you were noc- nocturnal? I was back then, Trent, but it's changed <laughs> a lot, I can assure you. <laughs> yes, the lifestyle's changed a little bit. It's people skills at the core of that, though, isn't it? The to to connect with people, build relationships. Uh, but you're spot on. There's no, you don't sit there at the last year of high school and say, I'm going to be a salesperson. I'm going to sell as much stuff as I can. I'm going to be really, really wealthy one day. People will say, well, hang on a sec. Well, that's not the norm. But you do find people naturally have that sales flair. It's not always brought out in them. Um, so as you charted forward a little bit, when did you start to realize that you were good at it? Mm. Okay, it's it's a good question. Uh, I would say I probably... I didn't realize in my first job selling fruit juice, I I was, when I look back now, I actually did a fantastic job, but I wasn't aware. I just thought I was doing what everyone else did. Uh, You know, I bought a lot of clients on very quickly, uh, but I didn't realize then. Then I moved into the beer selling and I reckon about six months into that gig uh, and I was, I had a work colleague I was working alongside who I was outperforming him and he'd been doing sales for a lot longer than me. Like, I mean, years and years longer and he'd even been working in the same industry. So, you know, I probably jittered around then that like, actually, you know, I'm actually not too bad at this. And then when I transitioned across into hair product sales and I was working within a team of, well, when I first started, there was about six and then at my peak, we had about 12. And I was I was light years ahead of the pack. I mean, light years ahead. And why is it that? was really at what, that point that, that I realized. I'm just sorry, Mark, but why? Why why do you think you there's a X factor here that often comes out with high performers as a natural capability there that comes out? But what is it? How do you become light years ahead of these people when you've got less experience? The the word that comes to mind, Trent, is passion. And I do have a lot of passion in things that I like or love doing. Yes. And you can probably hear it in my voice now, Trent. Just an innate level of passion that uh, does come through because we're here talking about something I love. Hang on. So so you're not selling, you're channeling passion. I'm not really really selling. I, I don't look at it like that, right? I mean, yes, I'm I'm selling a product, but at the end of the day, I'm just showing a real keen interest in the client, in their business, and then I guess talking to them in a passionate manner about what they do and also what I do and then bringing the two together. Uh, and I think if the client really senses a high level of passion from you, it's very hard not to take a keen interest in wanting to work with that salesperson. So yes, yes. I guess- Looking at it like that, that's um, probably the reason that my level of passion was, was, is, and I'd say always will be a lot stronger and more than most salespeople that you come across. Yeah, that's that's a real superpower, I think. But you're right. When you have, you can tell when somebody's passionate about something, their body language, their tone, the level of detail, their energy levels. You can also tell when somebody, oh, there's a kookaburra. Kookaburra laughing in the background there, passionate. Uh, we are in Australia, mind you, for those international listeners. The passion, they stink of it. And there's not a lot of selling required normally. If you just, you have all those elements, high energy, positivity, details, you're genuine. It's a genuine passion and you love sharing your passion. Then that's half the battle. That's most of the battle done really. But the sad reality is a lot of salespeople don't have the passion. It's a job. That that is your first mistake, selling something that you not doesn't really light you up. But I'm usually in your early years, Mark, as we both as we've both gone on our own journeys, you do find yourself selling various things in your early days. I sold life insurance. I wasn't passionate about it, but I was passionate about getting paid because I had to eat. 
But again, little stepping stones you go like you're selling juice leads you to where you are today. Now, there's a, there is, though, this sad reality for most people that they are generally selling things they're not excited by because it is a paycheck. Some would argue, well, that's, of course, that's why it's called a job. You do something and get paid. Um, but there is a smelly stigma attached to selling. What do you think that is? I, I will I will say to that, and I think that, that is a good question you ask. I think it's so important, and I, I know you just touched on this, but it is so important that if you are selling, you need to at least like what you do and then ultimately love it. And I, I say that because, you know, when I started selling hair products, I wouldn't say I loved it when I started, but that like for it, I, I really liked it. I thought this is a cool industry. I'm working with cool people. I, I've got some great products here and I liked it. But the love for it came a little bit later, the true love. And I guess when the love kicked in, that's when my sales really went to the next level. But the problem with the, the smelly sales stigma, it's it's those people going out there selling something that it's probably a crappy product trend. Let's not beat around the bush. It's probably something that is mediocre at best. And those people will con and manipulate and say and do things to sell that product that you don't need to do when you like and love what you're selling. So I reckon that's what it comes down yeah, to yeah. why it could be a stigma around slimy, dodgy salespeople. But, you know, the majority of us aren't at all. Uh, but that's probably why. Interesting. I have heard numerous times that your people will share their war stories about this place I used to work. Oh my God, you won't believe what we used to do. You know, that's culture and that's leadership. Oh, my old mate, sales manager used to say, do this. And we just did it because that's what you did. But it's like they don't, then they get out of that. that those inexperienced salespeople have to go through almost that initiation sometimes of getting their getting their stri- earning their stripes, their apprenticeship, getting in some really smelly environments <laughs> to realize, hey, this is actually not how you sell. This is not right. I think we inherently know what between the difference between right and wrong. But if you're a young salesperson coming through the ranks, you don't really know any difference sometimes. So which is which is really interesting. So that always comes back. Smelly stigma is usually driven by unethical leaders that are um, and you've got to work out sometimes you've got to work it out yourself that hey, this 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 is um, what others are doing, but I don't agree with it. The highest paid people in the world are usually salespeople. Um, and like I said, your definition of sailing is relationships. So you can't build relationships by being unethical. 100% you can't. I totally agree. When you said your attachment or connection to selling hair products at Ausdare went from like to love, what triggered that was that sort of a slow burn or was it something that was it a quick real or was it a sort of realization based on something that had happened or there's a couple of things in that trend uh one is i started to fall in love with the industry <clears throat> the, the people what they did uh their kind hard-working nature i say most of them of course there's always some uh clients or people in any industry that that aren't that way but generally speaking you know, hairdressers, beautiful people. And then... But just to be I clear, learned, they are your clients, hairdressers? Yes, they are. So we Hair- work directly with professional hair salons. Um, so we're talking hairdressers who cut and colour hair. That's the majority of our clients, yeah. So you fell in love with the, the types of, of people that you were helping. I realised after I started to love the industry... Can you hang on a sec, Mark, please? Kelly, I'm on a podcast, please. I'll have to edit that out, Mark, sorry. (laughs) It's all right, mate. The bloopers are the best part. Yeah, the bloopers Um, are the best part. No, you're fine. (laughs) I I quickly realised that um, the, the products that I was actually selling were actually the best in the business. Obviously, me being a non-hairdresser coming in to sell products to professional hairdressers, when you first come into that business, you're feeling everything out. You're sussing out who the competition is, how their products perform, what they do, what we do. And I quickly realized, wow, not only am I loving the people I'm working with, the people I'm working for, 
but I actually do have the best products in the business. So it was at that point that I'm like, well, there's nothing holding me back here. Let's okay. just go for it. And gotcha. uh, that's when it all started to happen. So that's a combination of a few things that I'm translating. Belief in your products, a genuine desire to help the people that you're dealing with because you respect, ultimately respect and like them. Yep. And then obviously your passion for the products and the pride in what you're selling. So pride in what you're selling, genuine respect for who you're helping. And obviously that then getting the confidence, starting to get very good at selling, building those relationships. And then bingo, there you are, loving it. And Trent, there is one more piece to that puzzle. And it just turned out that the company that I work for is just an amazing company with amazing leaders who nurture and support the people. Uh, and it it was, it's like the company I work for, Ausdare, is honestly such an amazing company. I've been so lucky to work for them for the last 10 years. And I just can't see myself working anywhere else. It's like I've worked other places and you just know yeah. when you're onto something really good. Yeah. And as you say, the leadership in this company, the the products that we sell, what we do, it's just all, it all came together. So I was very fortunate, Trent, in terms of that. That's pretty powerful though, isn't it? Because you're the brand or the, the culture, the brand, obviously, which relates to all the people that you're working with as well, reflects you, doesn't it? Because you were always Absolutely. flying over the place, you're going overseas, interstate. Sounds like you're having a lot of yeah. fun at the same time. Oh, fun. I mean, honestly, if you want to have fun, come and sell hair products. I mean, at least come and sell hair products for Ausdare because we have an amazing amount of fun. We've got fun brands. We work with fun people. We get, not all of us. I mean, I've been very fortunate to get the overseas trips and, you know, the interstate trips. And I, I get to do all that fun stuff. And, you know, we do everything we can to get uh, the high-performing salespeople who have earned their right to come along on that journey with us. And, you know, I've had many uh, overseas trips and amazing interstate trips with, uh, you know, sales colleagues in my business and, you know, love them all dearly and more will come. But yes, a fun trend. Let's be honest. If you're selling something that is a great product that you enjoy and you're having fun selling it, I think you're going to become pretty unstoppable pretty quickly. Yeah. And if you're having new adventures, you're broadening your horizons. The sad reality is, some roles don't offer exciting opportunities and people get really stuck. They get stuck selling something that they might like, they don't love, they get paid well, so they stay in it. It's a bit of a trap, to, to be honest, because before you know it, 10, 12 years, you've been doing the same thing, thinking, oh, you know, where's the last decade gone? You've got to at the very least say, geez, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> I've loved, you know, it's been challenging, but I've loved it uh, and I've learned a lot. Okay, and what's next? Uh, there's an adventure element. I think the best salespeople are generally entrepreneurial. There's an inner entrepreneur in, the, in a good salesperson. Mm. You know, they're, they're generally problem solvers. They will think outside the square. They're autonomous. You know, they find reasons to keep themselves motivated. They have a great way of motivating others, you know, mm. in particular their customers. Um, but you're a sales manager as well. Yep. So you've got a team. So are you looking, what are you looking for? And there's 30 salespeople at Oz there, isn't there? Around 30 yep. in total. We we do. We have we have around 30. Yep. What are you saying? What am I looking for in, in good salespeople to work for us? Well, what do the stars seem to have as consistent traits? Mm -hmm. You know, what 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 are the because I know it's hard to have 30 aggregators. You might have 20% A if you're lucky. I'm not, I don't know about you, but, but we don't need to give A and B, C profiles on the podcast, Mark. That might be incriminating. Um, <laughs> but what are you looking for? What are these What are these high performers? Actually, two questions. Can I load this up? Two, double-edged. What are you looking for? What are you seeing demonstrated consistently by high performers? And is there a time frame to their high performance? That is a very good second part to this question. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting there. Okay, so things that I notice traits, I mean, there are a lot, 
But if I had to pick a couple out, I'd just say the first one is hard work ethic. And I'd just say hard work ethic for me is just someone who is willing to go above and beyond the call of duty when it has to be done. So I'd say that's one. Um, another point that I'd make is someone who always has the client's best interest at heart as opposed to their own. But when I say that, Trent, there is a line that needs to be drawn because that's interesting, right? Like I just said to you, the best salespeople or there's a trait that I look for, which is having the client's best interest at heart probably seems to go uh, outside the box. Well, you immediately think discounted, don't you? Like giving things away, discounting. Yeah, but I mean, you know, obviously not like that at all. But where I say draw the line is, I think all of us in sales have worked with crappy clients before and crappy client for us is someone that's just not spending the money. So if you as a salesperson is putting your heart and soul into trying to grow a business or a team to get them to make more money and be successful with the product or service you're delivering, and it's just not coming to fruition on their end, at some point, you've just got to draw the line and say, look, I've, I've got to stop putting this much effort into growing this client, have the appropriate conversation with that client, and then move on and put that time, energy, and effort into the clients that are reciprocating for the effort that we're putting in. So that, that's what I mean there. Yeah, gotcha. But then, gotcha. then I'd also say someone who is highly motivated, kind, compassionate, but has a killer instinct. Mm. We're not asking for much there, Trent. Hang on a sec. I'll go right there. Hang on, hang on. Back it up. Back it up, Marky Mark. Hang on. Hit me with those again. I'm going to write these down. Kind. Kind. Compassionate. Compassionate. Yes. Motivated. Motivated, yes. But with a killer instinct. Okay. But, yeah, I like it. Okay. Oh, that's a deadly combination. That really is quirky. That killer instinct. We need to snap that one off because, yeah, I I think highly motivated, yes, with the killer instinct could be dangerous, could be very self-driven, could be quite destructive. Mm -hmm. Highly motivated killer instinct will win at all costs. Good trait. But when you sprinkle on top of that kind and compassionate, mm -hmm. then you get a really nice balance, a really nice uh, dynamic in personality. And um, what do you mean by killer instinct, though? I so I get the kind, compassionate, motivated. What is a killer instinct specifically? I think killer instinct comes back to what I said earlier about that hard work ethic, someone who's willing to go above and beyond the call of duty. So if we look at sales, let's think about cold calling. Let's think about following up on your cold calls to generate the new business and get the sale over the line. You know, there's there's people, there's people in sales who work the nine to five in the field or on the phone, whatever you do. And that's just what they do. And then there's others who don't leave their last appointment until 5.30. They're starting their day at 7.30 and they're following up on cold calls and follow-ups of follow-ups on the way home at 6.30 up to 7 p.m. So I'd say the killer instinct really just comes back to the hard work ethic. Yeah, okay. That uh, that's sort of links back to timing, time frame of high performance. That's hard to maintain over a long journey. It's hard to really grind year in, year out, don't you think? And I think there's a burnout factor we see at Boom, which is three years, you know, which is a, you could be number one on the leaderboard. Let's say you've got 20 people in your team. We go in, there's Sally at the number one. Go back in two years later, she's dropped to five. She hasn't lost her capability. But things might be going on in her market. Things might be going on in her world. But this sort of this, how do you maintain that high level of passionate energy day in, day out for 10, 15 years? It's, that is that is the million-dollar question. Um, well, I interesting you say that. I, I, I've got this theory about reinvention, Trent. Uh, I speak about this a lot. And I was pulled prematurely off the road to move into a leadership role way too early. Like I was... 
I didn't even reach the peak of my sales before I was pulled off the road, but I had been in sales for enough years to understand that it could get pretty boring if you didn't take time to reinvent what you do. And a reinvention is unique to the individual, but like that's how I explain how you stay on top constantly. Because what do they say? The hardest place to stay is at the top. There's always someone chasing you, right? Mm -hmm. But if you can take undertake the mindset of every 12 months, when you get to that experienced salesperson level, what am I going to do to reinvent my approach this year? What content will I deliver to my clients? What how will I um, change or alter my pitch to make it fresh and new and exciting for both me and for the prospects? Yes. There's things you can do to stay on top and keep it exciting for many, many years. Yeah, it's interesting. That's really interesting. I want to talk about reinvention because I know you've spent a lot of time working on yourself, but you've shared that with me. But that, okay, so for the up and coming salesperson, sales professional, okay, you get to number one in your business or industry. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to stay there? You know, what is that that sort of reinvention naturally should kick in? Well, I've got to stay number one. Okay, how? How do you plan on staying number one once you get there? Because once you stop chasing, then then you've got the fresh air, you've got the wind in your face. <laughs> you know, I've got the image of the Tour de France cyclist, <laughs> you know, no one in front of him, up the hill. All right, now you now you got to work. You know, because everyone's now chasing you. Uh, they were once the blueprint. You could model them to get to replicate their behavior. Now, what are you going to do because they're chasing you? Okay, that's a very, very good question you ask. Uh, and going back to your thing of your question of, well, if you're at the top, how do you stay there, you know, year after year? And like, this is, a, I guess, a practical tip. And, you know, if, if anyone is listening to this, looking for the right time to reinvent or how do I reinvent? This would be my suggestion. I would be reading sales books. Uh, Trent, I don't know if I shared with you, but I actually discovered your work when I Googled sales books in my early days and discovered The Naked Salesman. And I remember taking some amazing things from your book and then putting that into the into practice in the field. And it honestly revolutionized what I did. So that was early on in my career, but I would say that was a reinvention because the learnings I got from your book and then me implementing the learnings from your book totally changed the way that I sold things for the better. So firstly, I'd say read so knowledge. Sales. Knowledge. You need Absolutely. to take the knowledge and knowledge. implement it. Yeah. Yes. And I see too many people read a book or listen to a podcast and go, oh, wow, that was really good, wasn't it? But what have they done with the knowledge? Nothing. You've got to take the knowledge from the books, from the podcast, and put them into action in the field. And I can tell you, if you want to get some motivation for a reinvention, you've got to read and you've got to listen. And you've got to speak to other high-performing salespeople who do what you do or go out on the road with some high-performing salespeople who do what you do to see how they go about it. And in those three pointers alone, Trent, there are reinventions for years and years to come, I can assure you. There are people that are career or serial learners. They just keep learning. They keep learning. Somebody said to me recently, well, that's your target market. No, that's, no it's not. We want people to take the actions. And just want people to keep buying stuff and doing nothing with it. You know, you take the actions. You probably read it. Look, you do need to keep energizing yourself, seeking knowledge, mentors, best practices, taking a high-performance mindset, constant feedback. You know, um, so reinvention, growth mindset, learning, books, podcasts. There's no real excuse, is there, Mark? Because it's everywhere. You could download a thousand podcasts in the next week. <laughs> you know, literally, the, the content's there. It's on YouTube. How do I choose which path to take and who should I learn from? My advice is to take a little bit from a lot of different places and then find what works for you. You know, uh, but I do find that if you are generally coming from a place of contribution, I love, I really love that. We need to make that an anchor, kind, compassionate, motivated, but with a killer instinct. If you're generally helping people, what you're selling product or service is genuinely valuable, then you're probably going to make a decent career out of selling something have sales 
you know, you it's said when something you are... very important, Trent. You said you said contribution, and straight away my mind went to, well, the best salespeople I see, they do what they do because they love seeing the clients they work with grow and succeed and make money and have stronger businesses and have highly passionate, motivated teams. It's like very rarely have I seen the best salespeople come from a place where it's just all about them. Like there's got to be a deeper sense of purpose to what you do. And generally those who really succeed in this industry are doing it because they love to see their clients succeed and make money and win in business and win in life. And Mm. there's no doubt that's a huge, huge thing of, of great salespeople. I think that link to purpose you touched on is just vital. Yeah, because you've got to be, it is who you are. You're working 48 weeks a year, probably five days a week. Some of us are working a lot longer than that because we're always on, we're all connected. Do you take emails in bed, Mark, or are you really disciplined? Have you ever done a work email at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night in bed? Not in bed. Not well. I've, my <laughs> not discipline's change all the time, Trent. Yep, like yep. I'm highly disciplined in all aspects of my life, but uh, I'll, I'll do them sitting on the couch in front of the television. But yep. I don't do my emails in bed. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> don't not if you're, what if you're waiting on a, some big news? <laughs> you're, you're hanging on some big news. <laughs> you might check the email. Uh, but yeah, but the, the my point is, we're hyper connected. We're always on. Um, so if what you're doing every day on a day-to-day and a work-related sense is not really something you're passionate about, you're in big trouble because you're going to be cooked. That three-year burnout factor, A, you're not going to get to high performer for a start. So you're not going to be in the top 5% if you don't really love it. You're not going to keep working through challenges. Um, that lack of uh, engagement in what you're selling is going to rub off on your customers. They won't, they'll smell fear a mile off. So it's this sort of vicious cycle you get in. So finding a company, for, I'm translating with you, Mark, you, you really have this perfect storm of finding a place that values who you are, that reflects who you are, and your products are world-class. Um, you, you're on an adventure as well. You have the ability to grow um, and, you, and you ultimately in a very, very good place. So it's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. But in saying that, you have had moments where you've had to work on yourself. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, when you, you look at life, you you could break it into two categories, your personal life and your professional life. And some people can have troubling things going on in their personal life and not bring it to their professional lives. Mm. Others, pe- Other people, it's a little bit more challenging. But I think everyone comes to points in their life uh, where you you need to dig a little bit deeper. You know, why do I do things the way I do? Um, you know, why do I say the things that I say? Uh, why do I take the things that people have said to me the way that I do? Why does it affect me so much? You know, just some some light examples. But yeah, I, I've, you know, I've done the Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within courses. I've done the Landmark Forum Landmark Ooh, Events. I've done communication courses. I've done yes. relationship courses. I'm constantly on that journey of how to mm. be the best version of myself. And then I guess the the side effect of me going on that journey means that I'm just, uh, I'm a better partner in life. I'm a better father to my son. I'm a better work colleague to all the great people in my business. And, you know, yes. but that, but that, that journey continues, right? It's a never-ending, uh, a never-ending story. But yeah, I do love to take the time to work on that stuff for sure, Trent. Why though, Mark? What, what's the driver? Because not everyone's on that path. Because mm. a lot of those things you mentioned, maybe that's why we get along so well. Many of those things you've done, I've done. Mm. You know, that self-reflection going inward. You know, trying to find, searching for for the next level. You know, where does that come from? Yeah, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? It really is about searching for that next level. And that's what those kind of things do for you. You make discoveries that enable you to take your life, both personally and professionally, to the next level. Uh, I mean, I, I earlier in my um, in my early 20s train, I went through debilitating anxiety and panic attack disorder. And had to had to work through that and that that's just never ending that that those mental health issues 
you know, they're with me for life now. So I guess me making the time and putting the effort into trying to become the best version of myself, both mentally and physically, for me, that's a huge driver. Like I want to be able to perform at my best every single day in all aspects of my life. So for me, doing those things have enabled me to really do that. Uh, and like, I'm very fortunate. I haven't uh, been down in that negative mental space for a long, long time now, but there was a good 10 year window while I was chipping away at that, where, you know, on a, in a regular basis, life was pretty bloody hard for me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'd say my, my main drive for that trend was just to be able to be the best version of myself and to be able to, to succeed in life, in all aspects of life, which I definitely feel I'm, I'm achieving right now for sure. You certainly are. There's a holistic approach to that, that isn't there? Like ultimately you want to be happy within yourself. But sometimes sure. things around you are, are, are sort of almost counterintuitive to that. So and I think there is a holistic approach to high performers. They generally have a quite a positive outlook on mm -hmm. life. They're generally happy. But I think it works a big part of that, you know, being around the right people every day, really big part of that. Um, you can't be flying your own flag in a company that has a toxic culture. You know, that's exhausting. And sadly, I come across them regularly because we often get asked to fix toxic cultures, Mark. <laughs> Not fix them, but we're asked to address the symptoms that are, that toxic culture is causing. Lack of engagement, lack of sales, you know, customer retention low, you know, lack of leadership, all these things. Um, so it's interesting that I think working on yourself, better people, better business, Mark. You know, like absolutely, the selling sort of trend. takes care of itself. I've got to say, you know, you, you said it, so I'm just reiterating what you said, but you basically said, we spend a lot of our time at work. And if you're not happy with the work you do, or in the, the case of this podcast, you know, most the target markets, people in sales. So if you're selling a product you don't like, if you're working for a company that you're not happy working for, please change tact, change the product you're selling, change the people you're working for. Life is too short and life is too important for you to go through grinding away every day, not liking or loving what you do. So please, I hope anyone that's in that particular um, space right now, I'm hoping this may be your calling to go out there and find something you're really passionate about because believe me, it's out there for you. You've just got to find it. Hallelujah, brother Mark. We are drinking the Kool-Aid today. We are drinking the holy water. <laughs> I love it. Love it. That is what, oh, I tell you what, you've tapped into my passion. Because that is something that we almost fly under the guise of sales at Boom because what we do is so much more. Communication, leadership, passion, service, self-motivation you know, um, self-improvement, growth mindset. That's um, sometimes we go into these companies, Mark, and they're really, the culture's not probably going to change. We're almost un giving them little keys to help them unlock themselves sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and we've got to be careful what we say, but, you know, this is not the place for you. This doesn't light you up. What are you doing here? You know, um, and you give them the key to unlock the cage. Sometimes the analogy that I use a lot, Mark, is, Sometimes I go into an organisation. It's like going into a zoo and I just want to open the cages. Let them loose. You've got a tiger in there, depressed, beast, giant paws, strong, no motivation. You know, like the soul has been taken from them. You think, let me let you out, tiger. Just let me get about 300 metres away before I do that. <laughs> let me let you loose and see what's possible. You know what I mean? Oh, generally, that's a genuine feeling because they are suffering. They don't love what they do. There's lots of things maybe they need to do to work on themselves as well, Mark, which we all need to do because uh, rather than just blaming, hey, this 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 company's making me sad, you know, I'm going to blame all these external things. But the reality is I love your point. Go and chase it, you know, and it may not be, oh, but I can't, I've got to get paid. It's, you know, that's a challenge. We know that. But if you've got that courage to do it, and make the leap, uh, which I've done. Um, it's something I really believe in helping people do, make that leap. Um, in fact, the high performers, I'm talking a little bit too much here, Mark, my apologies, because you've unlocked the passion here. Uh, no is, <laughs> um, 
is when you when you look at what makes someone successful, it's generally what makes them happy. So you got to find the happiness. So first. You've got to find the happiness. So first. true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And don't um, trade your time for a paycheck. It's too valuable. Do you know what I mean? It's just far too valuable. I'll go away from charging. You should never charge for time, always charge for value. I got told this by Jason Cook. Hello, if you're listening, Jason Cook. He's a boom master trainer. He was telling me about a story about a somebody who was fixing a, a, a car or something and had problems and um, rang this uh, numerous people that couldn't fix it, found this guy. He was very, very expensive, uh, more expensive. Pay, uh, he fixed the problem really quickly, um, mechanical issue with the car. And he said, you're really, really expensive. And it was like 400 bucks an hour or something. And uh, he said, well, you're, you're paying for my, you're not paying $400. You're paying for my 20 years of experience. That's why I fixed the problem. Yeah. <laughs> love, love that. It's a time versus value, which is, you know, you go, oh, I charge myself at $30 an hour. Really? That's all you're worth? Hmm. $30 an hour? Your time. Your time on earth is $30 an hour. It's interesting. Okay. Hey, Trent, going back to happiness, I, I just reflected quickly on, on my career. At the age of 28, I started in a beer sales role on $35,000 a year with no commissions. I had a work car, which was a $5,000 secondhand Holden Barina with a sticker on Barina. the door. Mm-hmm. And and I know not Did you have the ponytail back then? Did you have the ponytail? Did you have the ponytail back then in the no, Barina? Okay, Sorry. <laughs> I've cut my hair, by the way. I'm not sure if you noticed that. Yeah, well, he's a very. Those that can't see him, I will post job. He's a very handsome man. You must give him that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. It mate. does help. But, yeah, not not every 28 year old can take that plunge on a job that pays 35 grand a year with a you know a shitty car and and whatever. But I was in a fortunate position where I did. But why I'm saying this is, I jumped into that role and I loved every single day of my two years at that company. And what happened in that two-year period, because I loved what I did so much and what I was selling and the clients I was working with, my pay very quickly rose. I mean, very quickly. Mm. So, yes, it may well, look you can't like... sack a contributor, Mark. They're very hard to sack. You know, we it's very hard to sack high performers. Have you ever done that? Have you ever fired a really high performer that was sort of doing the right thing most of the time? Good person. Nah, yeah. nah. You'll find a job for them. Or you'll find a way to pay them more. Absolutely. Yeah. You typically only leave, they only leave really because A, they're not getting the growth or they're not getting paid enough. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're just a stepping stone. That's okay too, isn't it? People are on their own journeys. It is, it is yeah. okay. A hundred percent. That is fine. But you're you're contributing. If you're contributing, that's more of a character thing. Is you, you have that trait in you that wants to perform, wants to get the results. That sort of is mm-hmm. a bit of that killer instinct you're talking about, Mark. Mm-hmm. You know, compassionate, kind, motivated, killer instinct. Marks four. That's going to be uh, in your book one day, no doubt. Marks four traits to high performance. Um, you know who make great selling. salespeople, Trent? It's for it's ex athletes. Yes. If you find a, a former athlete, even if they didn't make the highest level, but they train with high level athletes, there's something about those people. They are. They've got killer instinct. They are highly motivated naturally, mm-hmm. um, and they do tend to move on to high sales. And there was there was a question you asked earlier around what's that time span to get to high performance? Yes. I notice I notice it's around that two to four year mark where something magical happens, <laughs> at least in our okay. industry. And if they're not making it happen in two to four years, then there's a good chance that by if that's never going to happen, happen. <laughs> they're going to be gone at some <laughs> point, funny. right? It's never going to happen if it doesn't happen in two to four. Hey, that's we just we muddle the waters there a little bit. Two things. Let's finish this line and make sure we get line of uh, um, this conversation because that's really interesting. Two to four years. The other part of that is that is the athlete. I want to really come back to that because that's another passion of mine. Obviously, sports. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Athletes have that competitive mindset. They have a usually have a competitive element which helps enormously in business. Um, but that two to four years, so, oh, that's a bit of runway, two years. Um, They're very nice people at Ausdare, Trent. Uh, and I know that wouldn't sit well with most companies or yes. probably managers listening to this. Okay. But we are 
we are kind, caring, compassionate people at Ausdare and we yes. probably are a little bit more lenient than we should be. And we always do our best to get people to that level uh, where we're like content that they've got it down pat and they know how to move forward with high sales. But yes. Doesn't always happen, but if they've got the right attitude and they're doing everything right and they're working hard and they're putting in the effort, yeah, we can yeah. see that we stick with them. We'll stick with yes. them. If generally, they'll come through the other side, but okay. occasionally it doesn't happen, and and that's okay. It is yeah. what it is. Okay, that's an interesting model. What we should just uh, clarify here is, Ozdare as a business is booming at the moment, firing, booming. And, and listen, listen, Mark. Every one of my clients at the moment, this is interesting. It's not a self-promotion. Every one of my clients that I work with ongoing at the moment is booming. Love that. It's been a Sweden record months. Um, multiple Australian businesses. Absolutely booming. And boom through COVID. Boom clients. It says a lot about the companies that are willing to invest and want to improve, don't you think? Because there's something in does. that character of that leader or that leader of that business that says, you know what? We've got to keep learning. We've got to keep growing. We're going to invest in our people. Because then when, on the flip side, a lot of companies at the moment are really struggling. You know, they've gone from a pandemic into a um, a global recession. They're just on the back foot the whole way. And I think it's really interesting talking to you. The passion's there because the business is up and about massively at the moment, which is a sign of culture. It's just usually a sign that you've got a really good product. In fact, the clients that I can that I'm mentioning or referring to, they've all got great products, world-class products. Um, so that's that helps if you've got a product easy to sell, don't you think? Oh, that's absolutely. Quality. Absolutely. Uh, just going back to the sports. So you, you're an ex-athlete. You played a lot of sports growing up. and I you had a lot that. of sports, but I, I wasn't an, an ex. I wouldn't have called myself an athlete. I call myself an athlete today, Trent. Uh, I'm big into my triathlons and I've really undertaken that mindset that I, I am an athlete and and I, I'm i really loving that. Like I actually tell people now, if they say, oh, what do you do outside of work? I'm like, yeah, I'm an athlete. I do triathlons. And it's so interesting getting yourself in that space, but I haven't got into it until later on in life. Only if yeah. I knew if I knew earlier on in my life what I knew now, right? But anyway, that's part of the journey. Well, certainly is. Well, that takes a, that's a, that is the mistakes of the sort of where the fun is, as long as you're not mm -hmm. repeating them over and over and over again. But yeah, I do find the athletes have that, um, that inherent competitiveness. But I love, I really have struck gold here today with you, Mark. So I cannot thank you enough. Kind, compassionate, motivated with the killer instinct. I just want to come back to that because that competitive element can be the killer instinct because mm -hmm. high performers generally don't like losing. You know, and we I use the reference a lot, seeing these elite athletes come off the sporting field smiling and laughing after a 20-point belting, mm -hmm. a 20-goal belting. <laughs> it's like, where's the care factor? But it's sometimes it's just their way of dealing with um, disappointment or not feeling embarrassed by the situation. They've got a some sort of, you know, um, mechanism that means they just sort of brush it off, but internally they're really hurting. So it's hard to get a read on that sometimes. But um, that killer instinct, can it work against you in sales? Do you think? It works against the business because I, I just had this thought about there's healthy competition and there's unhealthy competition. And if you're dealing with a team of sales reps who all have the killer competitive instinct and they all want to be the number one selling uh, salesperson in the business, then... It can work against you, but as long as you're maintaining culture whilst achieving the high performance across multiple salespeople, that's where the magic really is, Trent. Yes. Uh, but like on, a, on an individual level, could it work against you having that killer instinct? Yes, it could because it would pull you away from, and look, obviously everyone's purpose is unique, but like, you know, for me, I always loved getting out of bed because I love going in to see my clients and helping them grow and build their business. But if you become too fixated on being ultra competitive within yourself, then 
You could switch your purpose around to, well, I'm missing out on sales. Oh, damn, that client didn't take what I thought they'd take. And you start shoving things down their business and down their throat they probably don't need. And I can see how it could turn against you for sure. Mm, mm, interesting. That um, as a, yeah, you've got to balance it with the, with the other elements, compassion, kindness, motivation, motivated for the right reasons with the killer instinct, look out, look out. And a bit of quirk. Oh, just to sprinkle a little bit of quirk on the top there, Mark. Oh, look out. It's um, interesting, because we, we only learn about the quirk through you uh, middle of the year when you delivered an amazing keynote to our business. So, like, if you had a listener here going, what's this quirk business, maybe who's not too familiar with the work you do, it is amazing what a heck of a good sales trade quirkiness actually is. Mm. Uh, so I would definitely encourage those of you listening who are going, what are these guys talking about? Have a further look into Trent's work and, and suss out the quirk factor because it definitely contributes to great sales. Yes, absolutely. It's a really success. It's the number one trait. We know that. Uh, I had a, just the a image there. We're talking about the killer instinct and the shark. The shark. Um, the shark is sort of an individual operator, aren't they? Think of a great white. Yep. When you get, it's not a pack uh, creature or fish. Is a shark a fish? Yeah, I definitely call it a fish. Yeah, it's I mean, a I fish. am a fisherman, so I hope so, it's a fish. <laughs> Would you rather be a shark or a dolphin, Mark? Dolphins can jump out of the water. They're pack animals. They're family creatures. I think too bloody hard about these things. I'm going to say dolphin. Dolphins look like they have more fun, Trent. Yeah, they surf too. They surf dolphins. Yeah. Yeah, I think shark's just obsessed with eating stuff, Yeah, killing stuff. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, okay, so you, you you've got to have that. And they're very you, – you rub up against them, they're, they're abrasive. You know, they're, I don't <laughs> think they're very caring characters. <laughs> but they're the top of the food chain, Mark. It's true. Yes, uh, in terms of it, they're – you know, and they're prehistoric, so they know how to survive, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the, the modern world doesn't allow for shark-like behaviour. It's just too transparent these days. You know, you get found out pretty quickly. You know, you do. if you're doing the wrong thing or being unethical, it's uh, it'll find you pretty quickly, thanks to social media. We've covered quite a bit of ground. We've covered quite a lot of ground. I just want to finish off with a couple of questions to close off, Mark. So we've, mm -hmm. there's some real gold here, mate. Trust me, there's some real gold. Is there anything what? you want me to say, Trent, that is important to you and what you want to get out of this that we haven't haven't said? I loved. I think sales is a tough grind for a lot of people. Like we said, it's, it's you've got to have that motivational pillar. That's hard to maintain because, like I said, your personal life sometimes gets in the way. Um, there's other things going on in your world. So it's very hard to stay at top of your game for a long, long period. It's a bit like an elite athlete saying, well, we're going to be in a grand final for the next 10 years. Or what? That's not realistic. Mm. So how do you keep yourself motivated? Uh I think that's a big area that people are looking for some direction on at times. Mm -hmm. So you're motivating yourself. And I think we did cover that, which was around reinvention. Just yeah, I hope, I hope that gets through. Like, it makes sense to me, but I'm, not, I'm hoping it's clear for a listener that if you read books, listen to podcasts, and yeah. it speaks to people who are doing well at what you do, that's, that's yes. going to create a reinvention. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what were your three... Mark, your three biggest learnings over your career. Okay, this is uh, pretty big. All right, so I would say firstly, you've just got to love what you sell because having fun is the key to succeeding, I think, in anything in life, Trent. So yes. love what you sell. The other thing I'd say is hard work will always be rewarded. And I, I would use a very uh, an example of in sales, what I mean by that. You know, in sales, you're grinding it out day after day and sometimes you're not getting the results that you want. Now, you may be doing more cold calls than your work colleagues, more follow-ups than your work colleagues, and you might be delivering way better content in your monthly client meetings than anyone in your team. But for some reason, the sales and the results are just not coming through that you expect. And it's very easy to be deflated and let yourself go there. But I'm telling you, 
all that hard work and effort is just stored energy waiting to come to fruition. So like all I say to people is if you're working hard and you know it, trust the process. It may not happen straight away, but the results are going to come through. And then the last thing I would like to say, Trent, is you've got to learn how to have the difficult conversations. Because in sales, it's very easy for us just to take what the client says to us straight off the bat as, yeah, okay, well, the client's always right, you know, or, you know, the client might only be spending $150 a month with me, but I'll listen to all of the crap they want to put in my ear every day and tell me how bad my company is and how our deliveries are never on time and all this. But you've got to learn to have the difficult conversations with your clients, because if you do, the level of respect they will show for you and your sales will increase dramatically when you're prepared to have some challenging conversations with your clients. Assertiveness, I think, is a, is if you come from a place of kindness, compassion, then you can be assertive. You know, and sometimes clients want to be told what to do. You know, I'll just leave it with us. We'll think about it. No, no. <laughs> you know, what's there to think about? You need to really need to do this now. And here's why. And here's why I'm really strong on it. You know, as opposed to, that's okay, softly, softly. You got to, you know what I mean? Like to me, there's a real, that's the passion and belief, conviction in what you're doing. Like enough's enough. You want help or not. Take action now. Otherwise, you know what? We're probably not the right person to be talking to. Hey, Trent, going to tell you what so you important. want to hear. What you're saying now is so damn important, particularly for any salesperson listening to this that might be in their first couple of years of sales, because they're the years where you just listen to the client. The client's always right. Yeah, okay, no problem. I totally understand. It's fine. The second you learn to have the difficult conversations, but as you say, you've got to deliver it with kindness, compassion, and empathy. If you're having the challenging conversation and the client can sense that you are having it with them, for the best interest of them and their business, the level of respect and your sales will go to a whole new level. And that takes time and that takes experience. But the quicker you can learn how to do that, the better you will become at this job. Yeah. And if the, uh, that just to add another layer there, because I totally agree with that, you've got to understand the customer. You've got to really have an understanding and a, obviously a respect, but an understanding to be able to have that level of assertiveness. Because otherwise, you're just forcing your opinions on people, you know. So that's where the understanding, the questions, the curiosity, the the genuinely wanting to understand their situation, mm-hmm. uh, and understanding the real reasons, the real the real drivers. I think very important. But uh, you're right. As a young salesperson, a person coming through the ranks, it's very much they're they're learning their craft. They're sometimes too agreeable, and it and it works against them. And Trent, I'll say, I see plenty of salespeople with years and years of wisdom and experience who still have not made this discovery. So I know I know, I narrowed it down to particularly uh, more rookie salespeople, but let me tell yeah. you, there's plenty of salespeople with 5, 10, 15 years experience that still haven't worked this out and they need to work it out quick because there's their reinvention yes. right there. There's the reinvention. Hey, you're too nice, Mark. You're too nice. You're too nice. And we say this. Coaching junior kids, Mark, which is something that I've done a lot of over the journey. You know, they're too, they've got all this talent. They've got their bigger bodies, they're stronger, and they let some other kid just come in and take the ball off them. And there's like, there's no fight. There's no, it's like, what, where's your fight? Show you care. That's all it is. Show that you care. Yes. That ball's been taken from you. Show that you care. Do you care? Well, I don't. The reality is I don't. I might not care. That person cares more than you do. That's why they've got the ball. And they're probably doing things outside of the, the game day to reinforce that as well. Training, effort, you know, practice, practice, practice. So show that you care. And I think it's a really good takeaway. How much do you care? Are you prepared to show fight? Hey, funnily enough, that's the whole theme behind my second book, one floating around here. Fighting for the customer. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Trent, nice I'm nice, nice through segue that into the outlaw. Great book. And um, so you should plug it. I think uh, you're doing amazing with your books, mate. So keep keep them coming. Thank you, sir. Mark, you are very important, I must say. And I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast, podcast number, hashtag one. Okay, that's how important you are. Number one. So and Trent, I, I, I have loved pleasure. that chat. 
It's my pleasure and you are also important and I love everything you do and mate, just keep doing it because, you know, working so closely with you this year, it's been amazing for not just me, but for my team, for my business. And uh, mate, I'm looking forward to working again with you very soon in the future. So love you, mate. Thank you.